listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Danusha Lamaris, whose poems have been published in the Best American Poetry, the New York Times, and numerous other anthologies and literary journals. Danusha's first collection, The Moons of August, was selected by Naomi Shihab Nye as the winner of the Autumn House Press Poetry Prize. Her follow-up book, Bonfire Opera, came out last year and was described as ravishing, a collection you will want to keep close and a reminder to begin again by listening carefully with the body's rapt attention. Danusha, I have been so looking forward to this conversation. I have immersed myself in your poetry. Wow, thank you so much, Joni, for having me here. I have to start by asking you about something I heard you talk about, which is that you said there are three things you need to be a poet and keep improving. So two of them are a dedication to craft and something to say, But the first thing you said was that poets need a weird head. (laughs) I got to ask you to clarify, what do you mean when you say poets need a weird head? Oh, I love that you're asking me that. And it's such a funny thing, but it's true. I think that it's so helpful when somebody sees the world in an essentially different way and makes associations that we don't normally make. Because as readers, those are the things that really wake us up to see the world and go, oh, I never thought of that that way. So some people are naturally blessed with that capacity to just have a slant view. And some people develop it over time. So it's not sort of a you've got it or you don't. It's just like, how do I open up my mind to be more associative? I really appreciate that point because, you know, I've witnessed that some people, they rule themselves out from being a poet or a writer thinking they're not naturally blessed. And so why bother? And I think maybe we were taught that growing up or that the idea must come from somewhere that you're kind of born with this extraordinary gift or, you know, too bad for you. And what I see over and over again is that it really is that dedication to reading deeply, to thinking deeply about craft, to writing you know, maybe every day or a lot, just staying in that game and having something to say. There's that whole triangle that maybe there's something you really want to work out, something that is a question that's sort of deep in your soul and you can't resolve it any other way. And writing is great for that. Danusha, on your website, you have a truly lovely video. And on it, you talk about your program called The Path of poetry. Mm -hmm. And you share that your own path as a poet has carried you through so many difficult, but also joyful experiences. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know if you would elaborate a little bit on how poetry has carried you or even changed you on your path in life. Gosh, that's another great question. And it's one of those things where it's a little hard to answer because I so can't imagine my life without it. I think the thing that really marked the beginning of me really committing to writing was certainly going through a series of tragic events 
in my thirties mostly. And so, you know, I had a child born with a very mysterious chromosome anomaly that was never resolved. And so he couldn't walk or talk and my marriage fell apart and I lost my house. You know, my family home had already burned down. It was just sort of like a sense of just disaster upon disaster. And what I found was left was my capacity to make meaning from it all. My capacity to make a story from it that was something other than just terrible. And a lot of where that happened was on the page. I mean, it's awful to say to someone who's suffering, you know, oh, this will be wonderful later, or you're going to learn so much from it. You know, that's a useless thing to say. I think we can agree, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but if someone engages in that themselves in a way that is without pressure, without, oh, I have to do this because that's what a good person does, Um, but rather with curiosity, how can I explore this from a different vantage point? That's what writing allowed me to do. And so I think the very story of how I hold my life journey shifted from I am the unluckiest girl in the world kind of thinking, which is where I was, to I heard myself saying aloud the other day, I feel like the luckiest girl in the world. I'm curious about your writing practice. For example, how do you start a poem? I think by gardening, you know, (laughs) or doing the laundry. It's like I have to trick myself. I am not somebody who sits down and looks at the blank page and goes, oh, I've got to write something. I would find that really daunting and terrible. So what I do is I putter and I read a lot. And there's something about the combination of reading a lot, especially of poetry, and then puttering where you sort of can't help but think of poems. So maybe I'm walking up the hill and over our little creek here to get the mail and a line goes through my head. I'm like, oh, write that down. So a lot of those first lines are coming to me while I'm doing chores, actually. And then I make sure to capture them and write them down. And so when I go to write, I have something I'm working with. I have a line. So let's go to the back end of a poem. How do you know or feel that it is complete? Well, that's a good question too. And it's one that I know everybody has a different answer to. And for me, it's that I want it to change me. I don't want to be exactly the same person I was when I set out to write the poem. I've learned enough about craft that I can kind of pull off a poem without that happening. And I don't like when I do that. You know, I can feel it like, oh, I'm being clever maybe, but I haven't changed or changed at least how I view the thing I'm writing about even a little, or maybe Maybe it's a deeper change. Maybe I really feel I've brought something to light that I was unwilling or unable to look at directly. So I want this sort of mechanism of the poem to have altered me. And then maybe it's at least close to done. And then you can go back and dot your I's and cross your T's and kind of go, how about my line breaks? I have a list of things, you know, are my verbs interesting? Does the title work? You know, that I'll try to reference, but really... It's not a solid draft until I've changed. Denisha, would you mind reading one of your poems for us now? Okay. Gosh, I'm sort of between two, but I think I'm going to read this little one I wrote for my friend Chris years ago, and it's called Edible. And it began at a dinner with a couple of poets where I said, isn't it odd how almost everything tastes good? You know, when you think about it, some things need to be boiled or marinated or 
fermented, but mostly things taste good. (laughs) Anyway, so that's where this started, but it went somewhere else. Edible. We want it all. Potatoes pulled up from under their poison foliage. The artichoke's heart scraped clean. The tender bodies of crustaceans broken from their calcified shells. Saffron stamens plucked from the crocus's center. Bark of cinnamon trees. Slow sugar tapped from the maple. The golden vomit of bees pried from its waxen vaults. Even for some, the delicate crunch of crickets or hind legs of lamb still tinged with blood. The world is such an unexpected feast. I think of my friend Christopher, who, when he found himself dying early one spring, kept telling us how this was the best part, the letting go. As if in his hunger, he'd somehow broken into death's core, torn off the husk, the brittle shell, found inside the succulent heart and savored it. When did you write that poem? Um, I think I wrote it over a lot of years. I feel like it's been about 10 years since he died, maybe a bit more, maybe almost 12 by now. Um, and I started writing that poem probably close to when he died, but I think I didn't realize it was about him. It was just about the food. And then I do this thing of like, what does this remind me of? Breaking things open to figure out what's in them. And somehow it was his death process, which I was really privileged to witness some of. I just couldn't imagine what it is he was going through that was so exquisite. And this was a man who wasn't expecting to die. He was in his 60s. Hmm. He had cancer that came up quickly. And he had a full life. This is not someone who wanted to die either. But when he was in it, he just said, this is so, it's so good, the letting go. And that was a real gift to hear and see, because of course, we're all so afraid of that moment. Thank you so much for sharing that. Danusha, you not only write poetry, but I know you're a teacher and you also served as poet laureate of Santa Cruz County. Can you talk about how you encourage students and outsiders to appreciate the world of poetry and its many gifts? I think that what I've tried to do is to allow people a view in to the world of poetry and to see how many different kinds of poetry there are. And I think we're you know, naturally drawn to different types of poems. I'm working on this thing where I'm sort of classifying contemporary poetry into about nine categories. Would you care to share? (laughs) I can share some of it. I'm still working on it with my friend Dion. But for example, there are innovators who do things that are really kind of outrageous and different. And we go, oh, like Terrence Hayes writing a whole book of sonnets all with the same title. Sonnets to my once and future assassin. Um, Well, that's wild. You know, and then there are bards of the everyday who really, when you read their work, you see them washing the dishes, putting their kids to bed, doing the stuff of everyday life. How do you classify your own poetry? 
Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that you're putting me on the spot. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I think when people read my poems, they don't necessarily have a sense of what I'm doing every day, but they have a sense of how I hold a bigger picture of life. And so that probably by my own classification puts me in the soul tenders, which includes people like Mary Oliver, and it includes Lucille Clifton, um, where there's sort of a bird's eye view sense of how they're seeing life and finding redemption in different ways. And I think that I sort of naturally tend toward going over there, as opposed to say being mostly an uncomfortable truth teller, like Sharon Olds, who lays out things that maybe make us uncomfortable and things that are about dealing with abuse. Um, And I'm not saying anyone has to fit directly in just one category. It's just helpful. It's helpful for people to know that all of these voices exist. And I'm fed, personally, I'm fed by all of the different kinds of voices in different ways, in different times of my life. We need them. So how would you describe yourself, Danusha, as a teacher? Um, We'd probably have to ask my students, but (laughs) I can say that for me, it's a pleasure every time a new poem is put in front of me, that I don't know what's going to happen there. And that feels really exciting. And I feel that the whole writing process, it's as much about learning craft as it is about um, kind of growth, right? Absolutely. Right? You know what I mean? And so I really enjoy that process. Like maybe we are a poet who's starting to write about something that we've never talked about with anyone. And it's really hard to give ourselves permission to do that. That's exciting. And I think we feel empowered by that process. So I guess I see myself as somebody who really um, at least wants to hold both of those pieces, sort of like, okay, we're learning craft, but also what's going on as a person for that poet? How are they pushing themselves into a new territory or how can they give themselves a little structure and safety? You know, what's going on on a really personal level there? Um, I care about that. You know, a few minutes ago, you said I should probably ask your students what you're like as a teacher, but I can tell you they've already sounded in saying that you're remarkably gifted, the embodiment of supportive, a perceptive and gentle mentor. So whatever you're doing, Danusha, rest assured you're doing it right. Was there a teacher when you were starting out who was particularly helpful on your path to poetry? Absolutely. Um, For me, that was high school. Mr. Ward, the school English teacher who was also the Aikido teacher, and people were afraid of him a little bit. Um, And he taught by the Socratic method. So he'd seat us around a round table and then quiz us aloud on the reading that we'd done the night before. You know, Danusha, could you address the symbolism of the verbena in Faulkner's As I Lay Dying? It was like just we were in a sweat. But he really pulled me aside and was like, this writing thing might be something you want to explore. And having his encouragement meant so much to me at that time. And um, so that was a lot. And then we had one week of senior year where we could take classes of choice. So I took a poetry class and it was with this quirky guy who sort of looked like an elf and he was really funny. And I just thought, this is so fun. I I never could have imagined this is what poetry was. And then he taught a workshop that we all kept doing all summer. It was like six of us. 
And it turned out that was Tony Hoagland. Oh, wow. So that was just very much how I stepped into actually the world of poetry. Well, God bless Mr. Ward and that elf that made poetry and writing fun. Yes. I also want to ask you about this wonderful poem of yours, Improvement. And in it, you share how one part of your body, your eyesight, is actually getting better with age. And the poem has the question, what's next? So I want to ask you, Danusha, what's next in terms of other improvements that you hope or anticipate in your life or in the world at large? Oh, there's so much to hope for. Um, In my life, I always hope for more balance. Mm. I will bring my body to bed before 2 or 3 a.m. That I will continue to go on my daily walks and maybe add dancing to that, you know, just sort of the balance of the everyday. And for the world at large, I think really it's in a way the same thing. It's that we come into some kind of balance that we're always going to have just a diversity of opinions and ways of seeing life. But can we just make sure we have clean water and that people have access to it? Can we just move toward everyone is fed? Can we just move toward the basic things that I think we can more easily go, yes, these things matter. Danusha, do you have time for one more question? Yeah, totally. Great. If you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be? I think my six-word memoir is something like, lose it all, begin again except that's five words. But I think that for me, there was something really powerful about how loss operated in my life. And I was at risk of of becoming bitter. And so the process of beginning again is really a daily process, not just like, oh, begin again, but like begin. How do I begin again? How do I, in a way, become innocent? again. So I think that's the ongoing life story. Danusha, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you better, first through your poems and now through this chat. I really want to thank you for all that you do. And thank you for reminding me to seek more balance and to dance more. Thank you so much, Joni, for all your thoughtful questions and for your time. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Danusha's poetry and her upcoming workshops on how poetry can foster resilience and healing from trauma, please visit her website, danushalamaris.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.